Mr. Tom Smart, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks very much for the invitation, Mark. I'm uh, pleased to be here. Well, Mr. Smart, this, this is just an amazing book, and I guess the obvious question is, uh, this was a fabulous painter and very prolific. How is it that we don't know much about him, or he's not been lauded to, this, to the extent that some other Canadian painters have been? Well, that's the million-dollar question, uh, Mark. It's, uh, he was of a generation, I think, that was in the shadow of some very fine painters, uh, a group of seven, Tom Thompson, uh, many others who really took, uh, took Canadian art to the next level, and he, and he did too. But he was, he was just in their shadow a bit. He did some things a little bit differently, and he, uh, he was influenced by different sources and so kind of fell off the radar. Was it, because if you look at his art, there are all kinds of different influences, whereas perhaps the group of seven had each uh, an individual style, and he was able to do pretty much any style, I'm, I'm guessing, from judging from the, the artwork in the book. That's exactly right. He was very adept at a number of different styles and techniques, watercolor, oil painting, drawing, and that's a testimony to his training. But the one thing that is characterizes he was a painter of the urban scene he painted people he painted the industrial landscape and with the group of seven and the post-war painters it was more the the wilderness the landscape the unpeopled landscape that caught people's imagination collectors imaginations and he was more he went against the grain he painted people in the way the same many american painters at the time were doing but again he could paint and did paint very much in the similar style to the Group of Seven, these wonderful uh, wilderness paintings, right? That's true, that's true. But his, I think his heart lay in the port scenes, the dock scenes. He seemed to want to paint these freighters, the people, the stevedores loading the boats, and, and the hustle and bustle of industrial life and uh, around uh, the ports, Toronto, Montreal, uh, right at the time of the First World War. And he found... In that, the kind of energy and the metaphors of a nation building itself on the backs of people's work, rather than finding purity in the un unpopulated landscape or the landscape of rocks and trees. He was also an, an illustrator, and I am given to understand that that sort of people look down their nose at illustrators who tried their hand at fine art. That's exactly right. But he was a man of his time, to an artist of his time. He had to make a living, and he made that living in the printing trade. And in that world, you had to be able to draw. You had to be able to sketch well to show the energy of a figure, and you had to be able to translate that into the different techniques of the printing, uh, of lithography, of steel plate engraving, and of illustration. And, and that was how artists of many artists of the time, including the Group of Seven, made their living. That was their day job. And on the weekends, they go out into the countryside. And Peter Shepard was very much in that whole economy of artistic production and wasn't shy about it. But you're right, there was a kind of snobbery about it, looking down, you know, well, you're just an illustrator, when in fact he was an illustrator and a very fine painter and a very fine interpreter in a way that uh, elevated his work beyond mere illustration to something that was more poetic, more expressive of his soul, more expressive of the, the times. As an illustrator, I was looking at some of those, and obviously he was an extremely good illustrator. D does this sort of go with the concept of you have to learn to color in the lines before you can go outside the lines? In other words, you have to be able to have that superb technique before you can express yourself in an artistic way and, and do some of the fabulous work that he did with paintings. 
that's certainly the way it was. Uh, that was the times. You had to have this baseline, this foundational talent. And it was a talent that really came out of a, the New York school, the New York illustrators uh, from the Art Students League. You, you learned a very rigorous technique about being able to sketch this the time before photography. So many reporters, many journalists had to be able to get to a scene and sketch it rapidly. And so there was a whole technique, a whole way of learning how to draw that he learned how to do in his toolbox of techniques. And he also knew how to sell a product, how to brand something. He was one of the one of the early branders. He worked for great agencies in the country. And he, at times, I think he was the go-to illustrator who was a bit of an unsung hero in the shop. He wouldn't, his work wouldn't be signed, but he would uh, have his illustrations on the fronts of uh, products, on the fronts of cereal boxes and cans. And uh, that was just part of his, uh, his nature and a way that he expressed himself artistically and earned a living. Mr. Smart, tell me about his relationship with the Ontario College of Art. He was very, uh, he, well, he was a student in the very earliest years of the Ontario College of Art, and he taught there uh, in their summer program as well. And I think if the records uh, were still available, we could see that he was also part of the faculty, but I, I couldn't prove that. But he taught figure drawing, and he was taught by some of the great figure drawers in Canadian art, uh, uh, J.W. Beattie, for example, a, a great, great uh, teacher uh, and a formidable presence in the studios. And he picked up uh, the the torch that uh, Beattie laid down and, and was one of the great teachers of figuration, of uh, drawing and painting the nude, of portraiture, of uh, having the figure move in space. And he was one of the very, very best in the country. And it shows in his work in the way he turns a line or in the way that he describes a a building or a landscape, you can almost see that it, it's almost alive in the way that a figure might be alive. So, so that really underpins a lot of what he did at the very base of his technique, what he learned at the Ontario College of Art, and what he taught at the Ontario College of Art. Is, if I use the piano analogy or music analogy, it's, he knew his scales well. He could do any scale, any arpeggio, uh, probably with his eyes closed and his hands behind him. He was a great draftsman. In, an, in the old way of being able to describe the human form and the figure and movement. Well, you've touched on it before, but tell me again about his style and the evolution of what he was painting. Well, he was an artist who wasn't afraid to be out in the, uh, in the scene. So he, there are a lot of sketchbooks that um, I, I found in the archive that showed that he would walk to the ports, that he would go to the riverside and into the country and into the parks where people were and sketch right on the spot. So there's a sense of what we call immediacy. When you look at those sketches, they're very much alive, even though they're, they're, some of the sketches or sketchbooks are 100 years old. The people are alive, and he had a real gift for catching that uh, vitality and vivaciousness of the figure. And he was able to carry that through to his studio paintings. And that's a very difficult thing to do, to uh, make a studio painting come alive, because you're translating it sometimes from a sketch to a preliminary painting to the studio sketch. So it might be three steps away from the original impulse to catch that subject, and it loses its life. It goes dull, we call it. But he he was able to preserve that vitality, which is a very rare uh, capacity in an artist, and that's what really drew me to him, uh, notwithstanding the fact that he was a great technician. When you look at his work, he He's superbly uh, gifted in 
in technique, but he goes beyond technique. So the technique becomes a tool for creative expression, for interpretation, and for catching a whiff of the times in the early life of Canada, of Montreal, of Toronto, of New York City, when the world was really changing. The, the First World War was at its height, and he wanted to show something positive. Uh, the Group of Seven oftentimes showed a denuded landscape, a, an apocalyptic landscape, or a world that was torn by war. He showed a world that was being built, that was not being drawn down and into the muck of the trenches. But Canada, its great cities were actually coming alive. There was a renaissance. There was there was hope and positivity. And, and I get all of those emotions and all of that sentiment from his work. And that, I think, is... Uh, a testament to the fact that he moved beyond technique. He used his technique to express himself creatively and to express our aspirations as a nation uh, in pictorial terms. Well, Mr. Smart, why did you want to create this book and and, and expose him to, to more people? In the first instance, he has a very wide spectrum, and I think we've touched on them here uh, briefly this morning. He was a, an artist of his time that bridged the two worlds of art, commercial art and fine art. And he transcended both of them in a way that um, I think his work is very much alive today. And some of the sentiments that he expressed are, are sentiments that, uh, that resonate today. And that kind of aliveness, that kind of vitality, is something that I appreciate seeing in art. And I wanted to share this talent that had really fallen by the side or fallen into the shadows. And he and many of his generation suffered the same fate, but it's time to revive them, to show that there is a wider band of influence in Canadian art than we would like to uh, give artists credit for. He was influenced not just by the great French and European schools, but he was looking down at the New York schools, of what was the hurly-burly, of what was going on in the big cities there, of George Bellows and, and that group of the eight, we call them, Robert Henry and his uh, cohort. But it's uh, it's very much an art that uh, is timely, beautifully executed, heartbreakingly um, emotional, and it shows Canada really on the cusp of becoming the great nation it became in the 20th century. Well, Mr. Smart, thank you so much for enabling me to discover this artist, and congratulations on what is truly a, a very, very interesting and, and just magnificent book. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure, and thank you very much, Mark.